Bonjour, I am Estelle, your host, and this is Wildlife Conservation Insights, the podcast dedicated to the connections between wildlife and human beings. You want to know more about wildlife, about what's going on, why some species are getting endangered, what are the challenges our world is facing, you want to meet people that dedicate their life to save animal species, You want to be proactive and also participate in species conservation? This podcast is for you. Welcome to Wildlife Conservation Insights. This is episode 12. My guest for this episode is Stuart Chapman. Mr. Chapman is currently the leader of Tigers Alive Initiative, a program of the WWF International. Since the age of five, Stuart wanted to be a naturalist a lifelong conservationist and vocal advocate for nature. He has lived and worked in Asia for 20 years, starting his international career as a ranger trainer in Wolong Panda Reserve in China back in 1991. Following this two-year positioning, he started working for WWF in 1993 at Bac Ma National Park, Vietnam, and then moved to WWF UK and worked on wildlife trade and finally added up the wildlife, the WWF UK wildlife program. In 2008, he moved to Laos to take up the position of conservation director for WWF Greater Mekong, which covers Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, Vietnam, and recently Myanmar. During this time, he worked with teams to campaign against the construction of Mekong mainstream dams in a WWF's wildlife trade campaign, resulting in the Prime Minister of Thailand declaring a ban on ivory trade in March 2013. In 2019, Stuart was appointed as the WWF Tigers Alive initiative leader with the goals of doubling the number of tigers in the wild in 2022 and is now based in Nepal. Without further ado, it is my great pleasure to welcome my guest, Sir Chapman. I hope you enjoy the travel. Hey, hi, Sir. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. It's uh, from sunny Kathmandu in Nepal. Well, that's awesome. Right now I am in France. So, uh, is it the afternoon for you? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, yeah, early afternoon. Uh, awesome. And how is the weather like during this time of the year? It's the uh, end of the dry season. Um, so, we're about uh, six, eight weeks away from the monsoon. So, It very rarely rains at the moment, um, but it's, uh, you know, because it's 1,400 meters, Kathmandu is 1,400 meters up, the weather is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. I'm pretty jealous, actually. <laughs> okay, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, yeah, how you got into what you're doing currently? Ever since I was uh, five years old, I, I knew what I wanted to be. I I really didn't have a choice in the, in the matter. I I knew I wanted to work with wildlife. Um, of course, at that age, I didn't know how. 
Uh, I just knew that I wanted to. You know, the posters on my wall were of animals. There was only one wildlife program a week on the television in England, and I I would always uh, watch it. Um, and the, the other strange thing is is that so England is one of the most sort of impoverished countries in Europe in terms of biodiversity. We, we don't have many of the large mammals that you have in you know, France or Germany or Italy. So it, it, it wasn't even a connection to what was around me. Um, it was just something inside me that said, this is, this is my path. And, and um, really sort of, uh, I think in life, when you have a goal, everything you do then leads you to that. And, and uh, you know, all the decisions I made through school and then through college were, were always in my mind was, does this get me closer to the places that I know are hotspots for conservation and that I can in some way help with that, with the conservation of that species or that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you work towards your dream, towards what was in your heart. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think it's really important when, when, when you're young and you're thinking, well, well, what is it I want to do? And, and sometimes it's, mm-hmm. it's not that clear. But I, I think that there are these, these opportunities that if you do have a vision, follow it, because it, it really does mean that, and I know it sounds a bit of a cliche, but if you do what you love, you don't really feel um, like it's, it's a job. It's, it's almost yes. like a purpose. And if you can align your mm-hmm. purpose and your passion, I think you that the, the opportunities for you know, having a, a a meaningful career are, are much higher. Yeah, you're totally right. So basically, what is your job about? Can you tell the listeners right now? Yeah, I, I've I've been with um, WWF for for nearly um, um 30 years, uh, and I've. I've worked in many different um, sort of Asian countries. I, I guess I would say that I'm sort of a yeah Asia-based. I'm currently in Nepal, <laughs> and my my role at the moment um, is to lead the WWF network on a goal that was set uh, in 2010, um, so 12 years ago. And at that yes. point, it was the lowest ever number. There was the lowest ever number of tigers in the wild at that time. And of course, the, the, the way to count tigers means that we're not actually 100% sure. But let's say that there were around 3000 tigers at that time. And what we realized was that the decline was steep. And that in order to turn the fortunes of tiger conservation around, that we needed an ambitious goal. And there was a summit that was held, uh, and the countries agreed to double the number of tigers in the wild by the next lunar new year of the tiger and so we're currently right in the 2022 uh, lunar or chinese year of the tiger and so the mm-hmm. objective was to double the number of tigers by this year and so my program um that that i lead has that as its main focus how do we help countries to get towards this very ambitious goal yes So I guess it involves a lot of people skills, right? So communication, working toward with policymakers as well um, to create 
this huge team that is going to work towards this goal. It's not it's not just one action. There are many, many different actions that participate to this goal, right? Yeah, there's the, and it's such a varied field. You know, you can have biologists who, who are working in doing surveys and trying to improve the methods to, to how they count. For some, it's um, training frontline rangers who really are the sort of difference between uh, an animal being hunted or not. Others are specialists in working with local communities to ensure that they are getting, they're being heard and that there are, they are beneficiaries to tiger conservation. Others are skilled at raising money. Others are skilled at communications. It's a very wide field, but we, we have a single goal, which is to have a world with more tigers uh, in it. And this is a team that's dispersed across Asia um, with many colleagues working very closely with with governments and national park staff in, in many different countries. Yes, uh, it might involve quite a lot of management as well towards human-animal conflicts, right? Because there are quite a lot of issues with that. So I, I guess you also have to relocate tigers, no, that are too close to villages. Yeah, it's it's one of the, the, the realities of working in carnivore conservation. Uh, so whether it's wolves or whether it's jaguars or lion or, or tiger, that there, as carnivores, there is almost an inevitable, how should we say, tension between man and those animals, particularly mm-hmm. when space spaces are small. Um, there are livestock, you know, cattle, sheep, goats, that are roaming freely around a village or or where um, the tiger's natural prey, you know, a species of deer or wild pigs are reduced. And, and as a carnivore, yes. they won't make a distinction between uh, a wild-born uh, species of deer and a domestically raised goat. And, and so this, this does create uh, challenges. There are definite ways um, to make it a, a workable environment but it does require uh, expertise, understanding of the local situation and solutions that, that make living with carnivores possible. Yes, yes, yes. Now that's really awesome. So quite obviously, you know, from what you just said, we can see that you're, you're, you really definitely work uh, towards tiger conservation. But if I had to ask you, could you tell us how you think that your action participate in species conservation? So maybe not only your professional action, but also what you believe in. Yeah, my belief is that a, a world with more carnivores is is a better better world, and and that really is based on the fact that where you have a forest that still has its top predator. Now it could be a tiger. It could be a puma. Uh, it could be a lion. That ecosystem or that habitat is probably as nature intended and is well functioning. It means there is enough for that animal to eat. There's enough forest cover or grassland, and that there are going to be areas that are undisturbed to a certain extent, which allow that animal to breed and and to behave. And in places where we don't have 
the top carnivore and whether that could be in Europe, it could be uh, lynx or it could be wolf. We will see that the ecosystem has changed. Um, you might have too many yeah. deer, you might have too many rabbits, you might have too many trees, and the whole thing is out of balance. And so if we are looking at an area, an area that still has its carnivores, or we should bring carnivores back to that area, will certainly result in an ecosystem that is better functioning. And that means it's better for climate change, it's better for water sources if you're, up, if you're downstream of that area. Uh, and that carnivores should be seen in that light, not not just as something that competes for space or maybe a threat to to um, livestock, but something that indicates that that ecosystem is healthy. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Have you seen the? There was a documentary a few years back uh, that was entitled uh, "How Wolves and Rivers." Have you seen that? Talking about how repopulation of wolves in Yellowstone actually recreated abundance of other species. That's exactly what you just said, actually. Yeah, and we're only just beginning to understand that because the model that we have been following for the last 10,000 years is to remove carnivores uh, from the ecosystem um, by persecution, overhunting, cutting down their habitat. And the Yellowstone model was the first time, well, certainly in, in the US history, that carnivores were brought back to an area and wolves were brought back by man into an area. And then the changes that happened with, with, within Yellowstone were monitored. And, and it was a, an insight into the kind of the world that we're missing um, when we don't have carnivores mm -hmm. in place. Yeah, definitely. So you're doing a lot of work. Sometimes I'm sure it's, sometimes it's really excited. Sometimes I'm sure you, you also see kind of challenges, obstacle, um, what or who inspire you? How do you keep going? Where do you find your energy? For me, the, the connection to the natural world is, is the, my source of inspiration, uh, or, of wonder, of awe. Um, and in my sort of personal life, I try and take most of my holidays in wild places. I spend, yeah, all my time and money uh, going to, to, to visit uh, usually national parks where there are species of mammals or, or wildlife I've never seen before. My hobby um, is trying to see all 40 species of wild cat, and it's getting harder. I've seen amazing. 26 <laughs> species so far, and so 14 to wow. go, but it's, it's getting tough. I, I recently, just two weeks ago, saw, saw one that I've been trying for years, it's called the um, Asian Golden Cat, and I saw that in northeast India, and that was on a, a drive uh, in the early evening. And, and this amazing animal walked out in, in front of, the, of, of me, and I, I'll never forget it. But it's so, mm -hmm. you know, I, that's, that's partly where I, I um, get my inspiration from. And I think it's really important to do the things that we love and, and to do it more. And, and in the case of you know, visiting parks, that means we're putting, you know, money into the local economy. So I'm, I'm also, yes. if you like, a donor to, uh, to uh, wildlife conservation through my, uh, through my passion for, for looking for, yeah, new species of, uh, of cat. Yeah, so both personally and professionally, you're working towards your passion and your vision. That's awesome. I really like it. Some people say it's awesome. Some people find it boring. I, 
I really don't know much <laughs> about football. I really don't know much about uh, music. But I, I um, if you meet me at a party and you're interested in wildlife, yeah, that's yeah. You should talk to me. Anything else, and, and I'm I'm not going to be uh, yeah entertaining you. So there there is a downside. I'm I'm very uh, should we just call it focused? Um, but um, it's it's something that's my my passion, and 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 therefore it aligns both my work and my and my hobby. Yeah, I, I definitely understand you. <laughs> Um, so we're quite close to the end of this episode, and um, I have one last question for you. Which message would you deliver to the next generation of young people? Of course, um, it's it's important to to follow one's dreams, and and I, I I didn't have access to a farm or wild land, or I didn't have parents in conservation. I didn't know where my interest really came from. Um, But I, I always, I, I always followed it, and and of course sometimes it's not possible to follow some of these things in your career. Um, but it's possible to do it as a hobby. And so if if you do have um, interests and and you can align it to your work, then try and do that because that's that's where you will find the most the joy in life. And of course we also want to have some kind of legacy where eventually. A few years from now, I could be sitting on a in a park bench, and somebody will come up to me and say, "Well, what did you do with your life? What did mm -hmm. what did you do with your career?" And and I think it's important at that point to say, "Well, th this is the one small thing that I did that I think contributed to what the next generation uh, needs, and and that's a you know a, a healthy a healthy planet, healthy ecosystem, and healthy wildlife populations." Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for th sharing your thought with us. Really appreciate that. So we are now, uh, this is now the end of the episode. Thank you so much, Stuart, for joining us today. I really, really appreciate that. I know it was not really easy to to find the time to actually uh, being able to, to do this recording. And I, I'm really grateful for your time. So I think I, I have to say bye-bye now. Take really good care. Bye-bye, Stuart. Thanks, Estelle. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Wildlife Conservation Insights Podcast. You can find more about myself and the show, including our guests, on estellevet.com. If you like it, share it. I have also created a Facebook page, Wildlife Conservation Insights, dedicated to my current practice. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Once a month, I will present about wildlife health news around the world in the show called What's Going On in the Wildlife Side. This show will still be part of the Wildlife Conservation Insights as a bonus. Do not hesitate to reach out. Bye-bye.